Producer dude, we have a unique guest today. You, you probably don't know him. More unique than you. That is way too much uniqueness. But he he was a he's a, still a friend, but he we traveled together fishing on the tournament trail way back in the day. And he was actually my boss as the founder of Smooth Move Seats. And Red. I like those seats. You finally let me ride on one the other day instead of putting me in the back on the beanbag. You know, nobody puts baby in the corner, but we do we do put producer dude back there. <laughs> I couldn't even say that. It was so it was so wordy. Yeah, I was riding in that seat. I'm like, oh, this is this is nice. It, guys that don't have them that have that boat. Once, once you're committed to doing this, if you don't have those, you're just not very, very intelligent, I don't think. But yeah, they're amazing. But yeah, he has a really interesting story. One of the hardest working guys I know, seriously. And uh, obviously a huge resume if anybody's into walleye fishing. He is one it all, done it all. Um, I don't think too many guys have as many titles as he does. And it's just funny as I'm sure we're going to bring it up you know, the different connections that we have and how, you know, some of the guests that we've had on the podcast and people we've shot with on how intermingled so many of these guys are. And, you know, through so many years, he was definitely kind of one of the original guys. So interested to hear his story a little bit. And uh, without further ado, we don't keep waiting too long. Let's bring on Mr. Brett King. This has been a long time coming. It has. Long time no see, though. I mean, we happened to cross paths a few weeks ago. I appreciate you having me on the show. And let's talk about that because I hate social media uh, for many reasons, which we won't get into that whole uh, that rabbit hole. But uh, I saw on there that you were enjoying a number 73 on your personal page there that, you know, maybe not everybody sees. And I said, I know what a number 73 is. And I know that that happens to be two miles from my house. And how dare you be 14 hours away from your home and you not stop by? Uh, so we'll, I'll rip your ass for that later. But you were eating Mexican number 73. And it's it's funny because a couple of our mutual friends um, said that you are not a big food guy, but they have heard about this number 73 also. And Yeah, that's probably one of my favorite little hole in the walls on earth. Um, and, you know, I get out there probably a couple, three times a year. So I always try to make a point not to land there on Wednesday because I found out the hard way they're closed on Wednesdays. So. This time it just worked out for me. D- depends on time of year, but yeah, that's the, the wackiness of getting people to work nowadays. That yes, they're different. But yeah, number seventy three. And the funny thing is, is I didn't eat there forever, and once I did, I'm like, oh my gosh, I eat there almost weekly. You got to leave the mushrooms out, though. They got to go. Yeah, I'm I'm a no bell pepper guy personally. <laughs> So, any rate, let, let's let's get into fishing stuff because that's what everybody wants to hear. And, and I'm interested to learn a few things because me and you traveled fishing for a number of years, and um, you know, you actually sponsored me back in the day. You were one of the. We don't want to get too deep into this, but founder of uh, his. Maybe that's not technically right, but the the smooth moves guy, right? Helped kind yeah. of smooth moves in. So, take me back before that, even and even before I knew you. You know, getting into the fishing industry it's always interesting how the guys get there. Some guys doing club events or this or that. I mean, so prior to me knowing you, which has been almost 20 years, how did Brett King make the jump to where he's at with doing the tournament deal and all that good stuff? Well, I mean, honestly, I started out a short stint. I thought I was going to be a NHRA drag racer. And uh, I did that for a while and it just wasn't working out. And as logistically, I didn't feel at the time was well, um, travel a long ways, et cetera, et cetera. I had young kids at home. So I kind of tabled that. 
and I've always had a passion, you know, for the fishing thing, the walleye stuff. And, you know, that was back in the heydays of the PWT when, you know, you had the guys like Mike Gofron and Mark Martin and, and Ron Seelhoff, and you could go on and on making a legit living, you know, in the fishing industry. And I just decided, hey, I think that's something I want to chase. Um, so I certainly started club level stuff. Um, more back in the, oh boy, WWA stuff, um, you know, MTT stuff, that kind of, those kind of circuits. And one year the PWT came up on the river, you know, which is not at the time, but that's where I live now. And that's where I kind of cut a lot of my, my teeth learning how to walleye fish. And I thought, I'd sure like to try that. And uh, so I applied. Back then, you had to actually apply and get accepted in. And uh, Jim Kalkoffen uh, gave me the opportunity to get in and, and fish that event um, as a one-timer and then see how it went and bring me in the next year, you know, in one of the two divisions. So, unfortunately, uh, that event canceled due to flooding, which a lot of them do here. Um, so I was kind of crushed there, but then they elected to move it to Mille Lacs up here in central Minnesota. And if there was one place I was the second most comfortable with, it was there. Um, so moved it up to there and uh, I did fish that event. And I think I finished, if I remember right, boy, probably two spots out of the money. And I thought, well, that's not a bad showing for the first go around. Maybe I can do this. And that just became my passion, and I signed up for the next year, started fishing what at that time was the West Division. And uh, boy, did I go through some rough education. Talk about, <laughs> talk about a, an inland Lake Minnesota guy thinking he knew a lot about walleye fishing, and then all of a sudden they're throwing me to Chamberlain and all these different bodies of water, reservoirs, and river systems, and I'm like... Yeah, I probably should have fished on the amateur side for a few years and educated myself on somebody else's money. But um, I struggled through it and uh, eventually, you know, learned my way, found my way. And I mean, honestly, I'm probably one of the few guys left that has basically fished them all. Um, not to, you know, give you a clue how, how old I am, how long I've been doing this, but that's just the reality. I've seen them all come. Unfortunately, I've seen them all go as well. Do you, do you think that, you know, walleye fishing is maybe be, I don't want to, if I say plateaued or stalled out a little bit. And do you think that that's because of anybody can MasterCard and Visa it and guys jumping in or where, where do you think we're at with that? Well, yes to a point there is no true qualification system at this time anymore um and i don't know that in this day and age there's enough willing guys to put the effort into a qualification system and, and just keep it going um so we have to rely on you know i don't know i don't want to offend anybody jackpotters or one-timers or locals getting into events and etc to uh try to fill these fields up would we like to go back to a qualification system those of us that are entrenched and been doing it a long time absolutely so when you were doing those early tournament deals where did you have a team or were you traveling with people or was this kind of just like you know jumping in full go 
at first, you know, I jumped in full go. Um, I had one friend from Mankato, Doug Gardner, that that got in at the same time I did. We kind of went at it ourselves. Um, and then he decided, you know, more or less it wasn't for him. And I just, um, I'm a stubborn individual, so I just kept plucking away. And, and uh, I, of all people, I ended up with a mutual friend of ours for a few years in Doc Sampson. Um, kind of running around and, and traveling together and, you know, sharing some generals and things like that. And Doc was always, and still is, kind of a loner. You know, <laughs> That's an understatement. Uh, great guy, but what a better man to learn from and watch and study and and different things like that. So um, that was that was a great opportunity for me, uh, for me. And then from there, um, the PWT kind of went away and things just gravitated through and, and just kept muddling along through the RCL, FLW, uh, and, and now the NWT. So um, as time wore on, grew a strong affiliation with some more mutual friends, uh, Joe Cotton and Robert Blosser. So, um, it's and a big, small world, man. It's a big, small world. Um, it's been great. Fishing's been fantastic. Awesome. I would, I wouldn't trade anything for the world and, in, in, you know, what I've been through and done in the fishing world. So I've met some awesome people. Um, you meet, always meet some people you don't care to see again, but I've made a lot of Such friends. As? Yeah, no, I'm not going to name. Might start with RR. No, I'm kidding. Uh, but uh, it's it's become a family. It really has, and I don't know what I would do without it. I agree. I mean, almost everybody that I run around with is you know in the fishing business or associated some way, shape, or form. Because I think that you know, rather it was when you had smooth moves and, or now what you're doing, you know, still working in the industry, uh, with a boat manufacturer and you were in a rep group before I did, I don't want to get too far ahead, but it's always one of those things. You just kind of maybe go a little bit course correct, to, you know, with a different opportunity, but, uh, that's kind of a, the same thing for most of us, that passion, because we could definitely make more money and work less hours doing something else. But so, so some of those other ones, like I know you did stuff with AIM and um, you were actually, like, weren't you somehow on the board or something with that for a long time? Oh, I still am, honestly. Uh, it's been a long time. I don't even have exact years. I'm going to just throw 12 out there. Um, I've been chairman of the board. Um, around me now I have Jason Shakirat, Chase Parsons, Joe Okada, Tom Kimos. Um, we kind of oversee that organization. A lot of people don't understand AIM is a tournament uh, company that is owned by anglers. Back in the day, 77 anglers threw a significant amount of money in the hat, and we realistically tried to mock and model the the PBA, the Professional Bull Riders Association, because that's how they operate. Um, and we muddled along and got through and we did some pro series stuff for a while. Uh, Pro-am based stuff wasn't working out. You know, we, we pioneered CRR catch record release, which has become a widely accepted format now and, and often copied, duplicated, um, kind of pioneered that through instead of live weigh-in tournaments, um, kind of set a little bit of the standard for today. Um, 
it's been a battle uh, before this board was formed. I was on a call one day and it was basically decided that we were done. We were going to pack up our toys and leave the sandbox and sell what we had left. And, and I don't remember who was all on the board at that time, but I know it was myself and, and Mark Martin, you know, I just, I said, you know, give me some time. Let me see if I can find a few guys I want to dig in. This is too good a product to go away. Um, and that's what we did. We, we got some guys to put their name in the hat for board uh, of directors. We formed a new board and within, boy, I think probably three months of a lot of work, a lot of hours, we created the AIM Weekend Walleye Series, which was a grassroots series for the working man. And that has continued on now for, boy, eight, nine years, maybe 10, and been very successful and brought a lot of lot of newcomers to the sport. So, you know, that's one of the things I look back on and think, man, that was pretty cool to do. A lot of hours of my life, um, you know, we're not a paid board. We do it all on our own dime, but uh, it's for the passion of the sport and just trying to keep it going. So what was the other one they just had that kind of folded here recently? There was a, uh, a bracket style one that was out of Wisconsin, I think. Well, you just go right for the juggler, don't you? I mean, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> are you new here? <laughs> no, it's, uh, you know, that was called head to head. Head to head. I couldn't think of that for some reason. Yep. I mean, and, but I mean, I'm honestly not picking on any individual no. one, but what is, what is the reason that these things, I mean, do we have too many and too many different ideas or is too many egos and personalities or nobody really wanted to work or how do we, how do we not have a, a really an established one and we keep cycling through all these things? Um, you know, obviously the NWT is holding on strong. They're, they're one of the last longest lasting ones for quite some time in our era. Um, head to head, it was a completely new concept. I think it was a fantastic product, probably what the walleye world needed, but the timing was awful. You know, it hit right in the pandemic. Uh, things were awry. Manufacturers have been sold out of product. I mean, you can't keep peg hooks full you name it it's all been there and nobody really needed to open up those marketing budgets to help it along um you know there's some other things that happened that i'm not going to go into for personal reasons but it was <laughs> those, uh, those the best ones to talk about i i know but i don't want my phone to light up after this one gets out eh, nobody listens to this <laughs> nobody nobody it's not a big deal you, you, you can't help but walk away from that. There was 32 of us that invested between twenty-five dollars and $30,000 to get that product off the ground and fish it for a year. And we felt like we had good momentum, good stuff going. But apparently that wasn't the case on the backside. That's probably about as nice as I can put it and be professional about it. So, um, you know, they gravitated this year towards regional events looked at those the money wasn't right in my mind to be able to travel and do it because of the time frame of the events and if you make it through you're there for five days without practice uh, so you know i just went back went the other way back to the nwt and uh, they have probably now canceled more events than they've been able to host um 
you know, they just had one scheduled for Lake Mille Lacs. And, boy, if you can't get 16 teams to pony up on Lake Mille Lacs, you need to make some adjustments. Uh, that's about as good as I can say it. So, Well, I'll tell you what. I, I have a little short story for you that it's going to make you uh, laugh oh, a little bit. Yeah. So I always like hearing about travel stories. And I think the people here that have listened to this for sure, that's <laughs> one thing we hear is they want to hear about stories. And I thought of one in, in lieu of our the late Big Head Henton, uh, a mutual friend of ours that I believe I'm the one that introduced you to. Yep, you are. Uh, I miss Bob. And, yeah, just, I mean, he was a freaking freak show, wasn't he? I mean, yeah. He's one of those guys who would definitely help you out, but he'd knock you into next week with those giant bitten hands. <laughs> yes, too. he would. Those those bratwurst fingers. And uh, I can remember, like, Big Head had some stories, but he wasn't a storyteller. But he had a lot more charisma than you would think for just this big giant mongoloid <laughs> that had you know a head that you know couldn't fit a hat, which is why I started calling him Big Head. But we were fishing a tournament, and I can't remember what it was. It might have been a I don't know. I don't know what it was a big money one though. And we're going into the cut day and I look over and you were fishing that tournament as well because it was when you owned smooth move seats. And I had a guy that was over 400 pounds. Do you remember this? (laughs) And you looked at me and you go, I'm putting one in the mail. And the, I mean, the dude, he just told me I I can't get out of my seat. He sat in his seat looking forward the entire day. And it was just like, Oh, but anyhow, yeah, Bob also, we were, we were in the top 10. And Bob had this woman, and I'm not trying to be sexist, but you know, in, the, in in tournament trail stuff, that is either really good or a really bad thing because usually, yep. you know, a lot of women guide clients pay a lot better attention in the boat than the guys do their husbands or something. Like I don't even really like putting that on on audio that it's permanent. But anyway, so Bob gets this woman, and she, you know, I'm just seeing from a distance because we're through boat check. You know, we're all kind of waiting for the to taking off. We're getting in line, and here I look over, and this woman's getting out of the boat. And she's like jump running down this dock. This was on Lake Erie um, when we were going out of that West Harbor. Yep. If you remember this. And uh, any rate, long story short, this woman's out of the boat and Bob kind of comes, you know, idling back over by me. And I'm like, I'm like, did she give up on you already? He's like, I don't know. She's like, she had to get out. So at the end of the day, I'm like, you know, Bob telling the stories the way that you know he did. Oh, yeah. He goes, that woman came over and she sat down in the seat, didn't say a word. She just started laughing. And he says, well, what happened? He's like, she said, see that dumpster over there? Somebody's going to get a nice surprise and I don't have any <laughs> socks on. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'll, I'll let you all put two and two together on that one. But so the co-angler, I guess my point is I'm going to tee you up because a guy that has fished as many pro-ams as you have and so many people that knew you because you were the owner of Smooth Moves or just your tournament success, you had to have had some interesting stories because I fished way less tournaments pro-ams than you have, and I have some. Well, I'm going to back you up on the woman thing, and I'm going to honestly say some of the best co-anglers I've had have been females because you are 100% spot on they pay attention better they're not there to dictate what happens in the boat they just want to learn and and you know not say do what they're told but they listen far better the challenging part of that always becomes the bathroom scenario but that was always one of the first things i addressed when they did get in the boat is hey what makes you comfortable what do we got to do i don't want you uncomfortable holding it all day but I've always said that a bunch of us should get together and write a book on co-angler stories. Obviously, leave names out of out of it because um, there is some really good ones out there. 
uh, I'll highlight a few. Uh, with that said, a lot of them have become very good friends over the years, too. Um, it's really cool when you have a successful tournament day. All of a sudden, you've got text messages just piling in. And it's like, who is that? Who is that? And it's all your old co-anglers, uh, you know, from years past that have your phone number, and they're still watching. Um, that's really cool to see, and that pretty much tells you you probably treated them right. Because I always you know, try to, they have to be your ally for the day, but, um, you know, beating them into the bottom of the boat and, and treating them bad never helped the situation. Now, with that said, probably got a couple, three stories I'll share with you. One <laughs> along the lines of what you just described, Cass Lake one year, um, I was actually sitting very well. This was on day two or three. This would have been FLW stuff. And I was, we were on Cass Lake and I was going through the no wake zone, getting to Kitchy Lake. And I was the first boat in there. There was two boats behind me that fished by me the next day. And I was desperately trying to get the corner of this bar. And we're going through the no wake zone. It, and my co-angler's like, I got to go to the bathroom. And I'm like, dude, no, not now. We got to get the corner of this bar. You can do whatever you want when you get there, but not now. And he had brought his own bucket, his own bag, the whole gauntlet, and I wasn't. <laughs> so I just get through the no-wake zone, and I'm watching these boats come behind me. And all of a sudden, he, I just go to take off, and he starts smacking me on the chest, just about knocked me out of the chair. And he's like, stop, stop, stop. I got to go. I got to go. <laughs> and I literally had to shut the <laughs> boat down and just let him go do his thing in the bucket. And the, the two guys behind me were laughing so hard at the whole shenanigans because they saw it all. They're like, dude, you, you can have the spot. We're, we're not going to let you lose it over that. Uh, that could be that, a shitty situation. <laughs> it was a shitty situation. Uh, and, and then Escanaba one time, one other one, we – we ran, the bite was horrible up there. I never caught one in four days. Last day of practice, went down by Ocano and caught some fish. So decided to make the big, what I thought at that time was the big run, about 85 miles. And went down there day one, did okay. The rest of the guys down there did better. Day two, um, I had one of the, we'll call them the veterans of the co-angler side with me. And it was rough. We got down there across Pensaki Shoal, and it got lumpy, and we still had about 15 miles to go. And when I pulled in and sat down, all of a sudden I hear this, you're an idiot. And I kind of turned to him, and I go, excuse me? And he goes, you're an effing idiot, man. And he said it full language. And I go, Really? I said, why don't you look around? I go, second place is right there. Third place is over there. Sixth is over there. You passed a million fish to get here. And I finally just said, you know what? You probably need to just shut your mouth and get your rods going. We need to fish. So fast forward to the same Cass Lake event where I had the poop bucket the day before. My next day partner was this same individual Wait, 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 back up. How did that day finish up on Escanaba? 
Was it uh, We caught some fish. What, was he a dick? Uh, pretty much. And then we came back, and I had some boat troubles coming out of the Menominee Harbor at the time. So I ended up sending him with another angler. I'm going to leave nameless because he's kind of a profile guy. And my fish with him. And when the day shook out, uh, said angler that I send him with said he'll never fish another tournament again. He said every time he moaned and groaned sitting on that live well lid, he goes, I went faster. <laughs> <laughs> so if fast forward back to that cast lake uh... event, I draw him again for day three. Oh, and he didn't have a car. He's like, you need to pick me up at the dock. And I'm like, I don't, it's not my responsibility to get you from point A to point B. That's just not the way it works. But I thought about it. I'm like, okay, this will be a good opportunity. So I went and picked him up at the dock in the morning, grabbed him. I pulled about 15 feet away from the dock and I shut the boat off. And he looks at me. He's like, what are you doing? I go, we're going to talk. Ooh. Like, okay. (laughs) And I said, you know, the last time we fished together, I said, you called me an effing idiot. And he goes, no, I didn't. I go, yes, you did. I said, we have an important day today. I said, I'm very close to the cut. We got to fish hard. We got to be a team. So I just want to know that's all behind us. And here come the tears. And I was like, oh, boy. Then I felt bad. And we were all good after that. But... (laughs) You know, those are a few of them. The the coolest one I have legitimately, and this is probably one of the coolest moments in my life, a.k.a. fishing history, career, whatever you want to call it, uh, Lake Winnebago, which is my least favorite place to fish in the world. Who isn't? I mean, they should, they should just remove walleyes and turn it into a trash dump. I think you were even there for that event that time, but... Um, I drew Benny Waskowski, and I hope I didn't butcher that. Um, and we went out, and Benny was a military guy. To my knowledge, Benny still is a military guy. And, and he was pretty quiet at first, and we went out fishing. We were pulling spinners suspended over the mud. And, I mean, as the day wore on, we were catching some fish, having a decent day. And, you know, Benny just kept opening up and, you know, started telling me about all his tours and different things uh, through his military career. And he was a a career guy, not just an in and out. He was a career guy. And it was just really awesome to sit and listen to what he had to say and think about, man, what has this dude sacrificed for the rest of us, you know, to do what we do? So we check in that day and we go up to the stage and we had a decent day. Um, I think I had like 12 pounds, which is good for Winnebago. And I think it was Chip Lear at the time starts talking to me about my day. And I just, I just shut Chip down and I said, you know, this isn't, today's not about me. I said, today is about this guy right here, Benny. And, and I just went into, you know, his story and how he was a career military guy. And I said, you know, this is awesome. These are the guys that sacrifice everything to, allow the rest of us to chase our dreams like this. And we can't forget that stuff. And uh, I just asked the, the weigh-in crowd to give them, you know, give them a round of applause. And uh, they did, obviously. Class at Kanger. 
Well, it, I mean, it just struck me. And so fast forward from that, about six weeks later, and we, you know, I had his number, he had mine. We messaged back and forth after that day. And I was up at um, Alexandria fishing another event, and I didn't have a pre-fishing partner for the AIM tournament on Saturday to pre-fish with me. The tournament was Sunday. So I just, I knew Benny was up, he up at Camp Ripley, which isn't that far away. And I'm like, hey, man, you want to join me for the day? pre-fishing and he was so excited and he showed up and we went and fished had a great time put a program together and the next day i went out uh, fished with my buddy destry we had a great day ended up getting second in that one and all of a sudden i go to weigh in and here's benny at the weigh-in i was kind of taken back by that and he was full out military like he was to the hilt professional and I'm like, what in the world is going on? Well, as I'm up, you know, talking, giving my spiel for second place, Denny Fox stops the show and he says, Benny, come up here. And Benny came up and gave me a Patriot Award, which is the coolest thing I'll ever be given. Um, and it all went back to, you know, Winnebago and what I did on stage is basically he flew a flag over Camp Ripley for 24 hours in my honor for being a patriot and recognizing what those soldiers do. And it was all wrapped up in a glass case. And I got this nice certificate. Um, it was really, it blew me away. It really did. Very nice. The kangaroo has a, has a soft spot. I do. Oh, yeah. Do you, I mean, I don't know how I follow up that, but do you remember the guy in the, in the I mean, I'm just going to go like I do in hijinks mode. Do you remember the guy in the PWT days? Uh, he might have started doing FLW that had the co-angler, he had a jacket and he had embroidered on it, professional co-angler. <laughs> do you remember that? I don't remember it specifically, but. Uh, I mean, this is back like Gary Roach, like this is like late 90s, early 2000s, but. Uh, yeah, and that's always been the problem through the years a lot of times is is they make it their own tournament, and I'm not knocking on them. Like I said, I've made so many friends out of co-anglers, it's incredible. But a lot of them, there was a time there for a while where a good portion of them were that retirement age. Like they think they're going on a guided fishing trip for a couple, three days, and then they get competitive and want to turn it into their own tournament. And I, I mean, I've had them bring their own tackle and all of a sudden they're tying their own stuff on. And I hear a spinner bait go clank out into the weeds. And I'm like, what was that? And well, I thought it would go through the weeds better. And I'm like, no, get that off there. That's no, you can't bring that stuff in here. So uh, like I said, I think there's a good book to be, to be had. Um, if people could see the true side of, fishing and everything that happens throughout pre-fish and guys hanging out and all that it would it would be a pretty good reality show i'm 100 percent with you I, I still have guys to this day that are you know friends and you talk with and, and whatever and i've got guys that i remember i'll never forget this guy he looked at me and he goes so what are you going to do on your side and so people at home here <laughs> you know, we're, we're, we were open water trolling it's kind of my deal i'm on my home water and he says <laughs> I said, so have you fished Erie before? Oh, no, I've always wanted to be here. And I'm like, well, we're going to go with the guy that just fished 120 days in a row then. Yeah. 
but yeah, they, I mean, they make, like you said, they make it in their own tournament at times, but, I, but it is a great thing. Like you said, you know, for guys, even now, if you're thinking about doing this, or even if you just want to learn, it's a, it's a cheap guide trip relative to be a co-angler. Yes. If I, and I say this with a hundred percent sincerity, if I had to do it all over again and start over, I would fish at least two, if not three years on the co-angler side and educate myself on everybody else's money. Well, I mean, look at recently, John Hoyer did that. Yep. John Hoyer. Um, you know, there's a couple other younger guys that are, uh, I think Billy Atkinson, he might've just jumped right into the pro side. Um, uh, there's a gentleman traveling with Gary Parsons. Um, his name's slipping me right now, but he's a, he's a young and up and comer. And I, you know, he was going to go to the pro side this year and he elected to stay back one more year and, uh, and keep learning from Gary and in my hats off for that. I mean, there's, that's priceless education, period. So let's back up a little bit. So people get a little feel for, for you when you were, you're kind of a serial entrepreneur, right? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I guess didn't you could you, call it that. Didn't you have a, I mean, I, I'll let you you run us through, but didn't you have like a Napa store or something back in the day? When I first started fishing professionally, I had a Napa auto parts store with a couple partners. Um, and I grew to hate it. Everybody's mad when their car's broke. They're not nice to deal with, etc. And... I couldn't go fishing when I wanted to because it's retail, you know, and it's weekends and, and all that to do it right. So I went to one of my partners and I said, I want out. And he's like, well, what are you going to do? I said, I don't know. I might give this, <laughs> this would have been in about Oh six probably. And I said, I might well, is that, give is that recent. Yeah. No, yep. no. Okay. And I said, I might give this, you know, fishing thing a full out go. Um, it was before the recession. It might have been 03. Anyways, I said, I just don't know. And he goes, well, he goes, why don't you go take over for me on my school bus business? You can work all the hours you need all through the school year. You can bank them, whatever, and you can have your summers off and go chase your dream. I'm like, well, I never thought about being on the school bus side of things, but I'll, I'll give it a go. And he said, in a year or two, I'm probably going to sell that, and I'll give you first chance to buy it. And I said, okay. And so people that don't understand, like where I live in Ohio, we don't have a situation. Yeah. You have an independent contractor that goes in for the school system yeah. and bids for these routes, basically, right? Yes. Independent contractors are a thing in Minnesota, Wisconsin. I don't know how far. Not all schools own their own school buses. But it's one of them deals. And I got in there. I worked, you know, 10, 12-hour days. I loved it. I loved what I was doing. I didn't even mind the driving, getting with the kids, all that. And two years later, a year and a half later, true to his word, he says, I want out. You want to buy it? I'm like, well, it seems to fit what I want to do on the fishing side. So, yeah, I think I do. 
I can just still see you driving a school bus with a bunch of kids screaming in the back. I, I'm still not past that mental picture completely, but go ahead. I don't want to slow the train. Yeah. yeah. So <laughs> lo and behold, I ended up owning a school bus company and I, I just simply loved it. It allowed me to do what I wanted to do. I could shut the doors in the summer and come back in August and fire them back up and clean them up and, and go again. And, uh, at, that is at the time when I started the Smooth Move Seat Mounts company because I was trying to fund my fishing. And I'm like, well, you can either, you know, go work for said sponsors, ABC, and work for them, or you can try to do your own thing and create your own sponsorship. So that's what I did. I created, you know, and come up with a suspension seat to go onto these boats and and I had great help from guys like the Parsons Cavias crew in getting that launched and and getting Ross yourself, yep, getting all that going and and it took off pretty good. And I literally created my own sponsor to fish off of. Well, as the bus company grew and I bid another contract, it was time to and this all comes full circle here pretty quick. Uh, it was time to make a decision. A, I either put a full-time guy on smooth moves, B, I sell it, um, and I just decided I didn't want to take the risk. It looked like I was going to double the size of my bus company, so I sold smooth moves to a guy named Kevin Christensen. Now, Kevin is actually who I was partners with in the Napa store. No way. Kevin... He was the third guy? Yep. Kevin was also the guy that I bought the school bus company from. I did so, not. You know, I did know that, but I didn't know he was in the Napa thing. Because uh, he's yeah. obviously my, my current boss. Because I'm still, we're both still with Smooth Moves. Yep. For however long that's been. So, it, it was a, it's a full circle story. Um, I, I told Kevin one day, I said, you know, I said, I think I'm going to sell Smooth Moves because I'm probably going to get the the Hayfield school bus account. And I said, I have to focus on the busing. School busing is nothing you can do half focused, right? Like you're hauling pretty precious cargo and, and you got to focus on that. So he's like, ah, maybe I should buy it. I'm like, well, I, you can sure try it and see. You know, Kevin and I were so much alike and dipping our hands in different things. It was ridiculous. Um, never afraid to try anything. And uh, good so dude, did, good guy. He, he still, oh, great guy. He still owned the buildings that I was operating out of at the time. <clears throat> so we basically worked out a nice deal where, you know, I got real estate. He got smooth moves um, kind of deal, and we exchanged whatever we did. And uh, that's kind of how he got going. And, man, that family, he's now taking his sister Tammy as a partner several years back. They've they've taken that thing so far to the next level. Um, yeah, I, she's, I have, sharp. she's sharp. I have to admit, I, I'm jealous to see what it could have been today. Um, but, you know, fast forward two years from that, I ended up, more or less getting squeezed out of the bus business by big corporate. And we moved on. And, you know, that's kind of where my fishing career was my long-term college degree 
and has led me to my last two career moves. How long did got... you have smooth moves, though? <sighs> Probably eight. Eight years. Of... And that was, a man, there was a lot going on in a short amount of time because I can remember working with you. I mean, I had to like repair kits and we were trying new things and there were, cause it was so new, like there, that whole thing was, and there was just yeah. a lot of changes that happened in a really a short amount of time from that original suspension and changing the springs over to what the, that model was to now yep. the air rides with the actuator in them are like ridiculous. I mean, that's. That new ultra system is miles ahead of where we were without a doubt. And it is simply the best one on the market, hands down. Um, it's it's very bulletproof, uh, easy to install, you name it. Uh, that's, that's a really good system. And kudos to those guys for taking it to the level they have. Um, like I said, I'm jealous to sit back and watch it at times. But yet, I'm super proud to, you know, have been the founder and been part of that whole story. So. I, I knew the, the most of that, but I, I didn't even know that he was with you at uh, at Napa. Yep. Yep. It was him, myself, and Jim O'Connor. So Small, small world. It is. So, you know, let, let's hear some more of the, these, because people love these stories, and, um, you know, even some guide stories or something. But I, I want to, I'm, I'm recently, because even some people, you don't even know how I know some of these things, but... You decided not that long ago with a um, quite severe injury to go from one great lake to another in a bass boat. Because, <laughs> uh, like, yeah. I, mean, I, I mean, if somebody was to ask, you know, for me to describe you in a few words, I would say hard-headed, um, hardworking, um, and possibly just at times almost too hard-headed. And this, this might be one of those. Uh, I've actually done it. How many miles couple, was that? I think the furthest I've gone on the water is 125 miles one way. <laughs> Anybody that's listening to this, if they don't understand, like on the Great Lakes or even the Missouri River system or something, that is like driving in your car like a thousand miles without stopping yeah. with no top on. You know, I said earlier when I went from Escanaba to Ocano that time, it was like 85 miles. And I thought, I will never do that again. I was so, so bruised and bumped up and wore out after that. I'm like, oh, that'll never happen again. Well, next thing you know, you know, fast forward to, I think, 16, we're going 120 miles down the reservoir at uh, Lake uh, Oahe from Mobridge down by Pier. And then we go to Sakakawea and we go 125 miles-ish there. Um, in 18, when I was fortunate enough to secure a win at Saginaw Bay, uh, you know, I went 100 at one point in time on day two. I think I looked down, I was 112 miles from home on my trip meter. And that's across Lake Huron. With what you're referring nope. to. Take no prisoners. In the bass boat was we came out of Sault Ste. Marie, ran 50-ish miles down the St. Mary's River, which is usually no small feat and rough with all that current. And then, yep, across Lake Huron, I went. Um, You're tough and dumb. <laughs> tough and dumb, exactly. But you know what? I've had two shoulder surgeries because of all this. Um, well, didn't yeah, you, I, you were the one that 
was it the one that you won and you came down from the St. Mary's? Was that the one? No, the one I was lucky enough to just edge out Okada was out of Saginaw Bay. We came 45 minutes out of the river. I got like, I think I got third or fourth at the St. Mary's River that day. One of those, you were all busted up. I remember you had something, you had something broken or. Uh, St. Mary's River. Um, I, that's when I needed my left shoulder fixed. And I ran across the first day. And anybody that's ever spent any time on a bass boat, um, you know, they run on pad. And when you hit some water, you knock them off pad when you when you hit some waves and some ripple. So it kept jamming my my left shoulder. And on a bass boat, it's not like you can take your hand off the throttle. You got to keep it on the trim because that's how you control the boat in that scenario. So, yeah, by the end of the first day when I got back, I could hardly lift my arm up. I mean, and I'm like, and I was sitting good. I was in fourth or fifth place at the time. And I'm like. I can't go again. I just simply, I'll never make it. I can't do that again. So um, we actually did a little boat swap, you know, got all our ducks in a row, made the calls we needed to make, did it all legit. I did a little boat swap and, and ran a deep V hole the next day and got over there and back and uh, ended up, you know, I think, like I said, third or fourth for the event. So, it's that whole mentality, do what you got to do to get it done. There's not too many career fishermen that have been at it for, you know, just say 15, 20 years that do not have physical problems because of it. Because water's relentless. You know exactly what I'm talking about. Um, you can surround yourself with the best equipment in the world. Uh, at the end of the day, it's not like driving a three-quarter ton truck across the field that has suspension on it, right? You're going across a, a field, a plowed field with no suspension. And, you know, products like Smooth Moves has me still in the game today. I'm very certain that if I didn't have that kind of stuff around me, I probably would have walked away by now. I mean, and, and so people, yeah, to understand this, that maybe don't fish on the Great Lakes or, you know, something like that. Uh, in those early years, we had to have a different, I say we, working with you guys and Smooth Moves in those early days, we had to have a different um, seat base, remember? Because we were shearing those things right off. That's how much yeah. wear and tear we're on those. And, and not, you know, neither one of us are exactly heavy boys, even though you're a lot heavier than you used to be. Did I? <laughs> Thanks, Rob. <laughs> no problem. There's no, no, it's been a while too many 73s but you know i mean it's an immense amount of pressure to shear those things off and part of it is people sitting in them like you know like i said i've never i've never ever broken mine ever in almost 20 years of running smooth moves whatever it is 17 years or something like that but yep. it's you know, my passengers because they they think they're lazy boys or whatever but still it, it is crazy what uh, what they do to help us out 100 percent. and it's the people that don't understand how to ride the suspension. I think they can just bury their feet under the console and push back against the back of the seat because that's how people ride that don't have a suspension seat. You know, where, you know, in reality, you need to put your feet under it and ride it like you're riding a motorcycle almost. You know, you gotta you gotta stabilize yourself and and assist yourself. But back in the early early onset of that, the pedestals were absolutely the weakest link in that whole system. 
Yeah, I I know I sheared a few or had my co-pilot, if you will, shear. Right. Well, and that's when you're guiding like that, you have no idea what you're getting the next day, you know, unless you've had them before. Same with a co-angler. Well, and that and that's the biggest thing. If somebody's out there and they're looking at making a purchase, I don't even know if you can get the can can you even still get the original the spring model smooth moves? I haven't checked. It was available. I guess I haven't looked at it recently. Like a year, yeah, like a year ago, I know you could, but like I, I tell people, it doesn't even matter because it's it's a no brainer which one you're yeah. going to get. But and and the reason is just what you said. The adjustability on the ultra is like that, where the time it takes. You just, I don't want to say you're getting too lazy, but I mean, you get too lazy because it just takes too much time to move that up and down. Or even in my case, you know, I may have a husband sitting in the seat on one way out and then in the rear, you know, and the wife, they swap. And, you know, in the old system, that would have been a 15 minute deal. And then trying to test, nobody's going to go through that. Where now it's just hit the button, done. I mean, it's crazy fast and accurate. Correct. And, and kudos to, to Kevin again, because, you know, the original concept I had and originally sold him was a very weight rearward, not forward. It All the weight was in the back and it put all the pressure, you know, on that pedestal, which caused those issues. And, you know, he was able to go back to the drawing board and take it to the next level and get everything centered up. And I did. I don't hear of any of those issues anymore. So back to, you know, a lot of people maybe don't know, but you've probably not as much now that you're, you know, in the boating sales game, if you will. But uh, you've done quite a bit of guiding in your time, especially you're a river rat. Like, I'll give you kudos right now. I'll, I'll put this on permanent blast. Like, you're, you're a river you're a river genius, right? That's kind of your deal, pitching jigs, vertical jigging. Uh, yeah, that's what I love to do. So guide stories i mean i can't even imagine i sometimes just can't get people to real efficient that's you know gut hooked so how how crazy is that to try to fish current with somebody that maybe probably is their only fishing day of the year or did you even have that i mean it, it is very challenging um especially at times you really try to try to dumb it down i don't do a whole ton of it obviously i i also i basically work two full-time professions besides that um, but the trips I do do I try to dumb it down um, we pull a lot of you know a crankbait jig rig here um, that I can basically put a pole in their hand and say here it's hitting bottom hang on to this and whack you know the fish is hooked um, so like a, th a three-way rig with a dropper line that's a jig yeah. and plastic or something and then a crankbait yeah. out the back yeah do a lot of that um pull out a live bait on three-way rigs where I can just put the rods in the holder and control the whole situation. Um, and now or you're talking jigs. like a guide. Now, now we're right. a guide talk right here. Yep. And or drag jigs where I can just basically grab the rod, throw the jig back as far as I can get it and have a nightcrawler leech or willow cat when you can afford to do them and just say, you know, when that thing feels like it's got five more pounds on it, start reeling. Um, Pitching jigs is something in the current I'll do with very limited clients because it takes a long time to learn. And I don't, I don't like taking clients for a ride and letting them watch you catch fish all day. Um, you know, there's certain ones, you know, you can get by with and certain you can't. Um, and you just kind of play to that strength. It's really something I'm kind of saving. I have my Coast Guard license and all that. It's kind of something I'm saving for a couple, three days a week gig. Um, when I retire, 
you know, but I do so have, you, you are not just so you know, you're not retiring. You are I, wired. You I, are not wired for retirement. FYI. It sounds good, but yeah, it'll probably never happen. <laughs> no, I mean, honestly, you know, me and you've been buddies for a long time, but just the MacGyver effect is enough for me to, you know, be friends or force myself to be friends with you because <laughs> you're a fix. And like, I, I mean, I was talking with one of our mutual friends about that and they're like, do you know, he's fixed my shit like 20 times. <laughs> Do you think that, I mean, you obviously like it if you had a Napa store and you, you worked on a bus deal, but don't you think that nowadays, because this this conversation came up totally unrelated to, to today, and it was basically along the lines of me telling some younger guys that want to get into this, like, hey, what do I need to learn how to do? I said, you got to learn how to fix some shit because it's going to break. And nowadays, oh, yeah. it seems like so many of the younger guys, they're like, oh, I just take it to a bump and like. Well, when they tell you there's, they don't have any availability for four weeks and you got four hours, let me know how that works out. So you've definitely, you've done a few MacGyver things for me even, but um, do you think that that's something that's lacking and been a huge asset for you? Yeah. I mean, I couldn't imagine being on the road without some of that ability and all the things, you know, that I've gone through over the years for certain to have to rely on somebody else to fix things and get things going for the next day. I mean, you're not even starting to work on that stuff till five, six o'clock at night. There's, you know, nothing left open to go get it worked on. So you got to get pretty resourceful in, you know, those years of having that bus company, I did all my own maintenance on those buses. That was within my ability. There was a few things I hired out, but I did all my own brake work, oil services, you know, grease and changing U joints, tires, you name it. Um, I pretty much did all that on my own. And, and, you know, throughout that, you had to do a lot of MacGyvering because I had an older fleet and things were rusty and you just had to figure out how to deal with it. Um, anybody coming into this with without that skill, uh, you know, to be able to handle that stuff, it is a challenge because you are going to break some stuff. There's just no way around it. Well, your, your tournament success and your entrepreneurial spirit as you've rolled through the fishing industry definitely makes you a big deal, Clinger. That's, that's what we like. Here we go. Clinger the kinger. <laughs> but in all seriousness, leave us with one tip because I always, I, and it's when I ask guys like this, they either, producer dude will back me on this, they either like freeze up or they give us something. You're like, oh, why didn't I think of that? As far as a tip for somebody looking to come into this industry? Just one thing that you think that, because again, when, when we're doing this, like we don't have an agenda. We're not on yep. plugging, you know, product and sponsorship and stuff like that. So people just like one thing that you go, hey, because most of these other podcasts or shows or things, you've been interviewed a million yep. times. And, and, and they all have this like textbook thing they're doing. And you've been asked all those questions, all the stupid stuff and everybody does. Something that is different outside the box that you're like, you know, I, you know, this is something I think I would relay if I had the opportunity. Uh, get an education, number one. Uh, number two, always be yourself, be genuine. It, be as humble as you can be. Don't ever take for granted the success you may have or may not have had. And I think above all, uh, this is a sport, particularly the tournament game. If you're not a good loser, stay home period because you're going to lose way more than you win and if you can't if you can't pick yourself back up knock the dust off and just keep swinging that bat waiting to hit the next home run um, it's going to eat you alive period Um, and 
I see that around me, the people that just can't handle it or they're trying to be somebody else. And that's just never who I wanted to be. Um, like I said, I've, I've been very fortunate, you know, through my years, it's been good to me. I want to see it to continue on and be good to others long after, you know, I'm out of here. And the last thing I guess I would say is don't, don't ever take your buddies for granted because man, we've lost some great ones. Uh, too many in the recent couple years, you know, Bob, obviously, fortunately, I got to see him last fall when we were out at New York for the head to head championship, which, you know, did I'm he tell you what you did wrong? Yeah. Did he tell you, did he tell you what you did wrong? Yeah. 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 And, uh, and you can't say anything because I'll knock you out. No. Um, you know, there's others, uh, David Anderson. I mean, we've just Tom Pete Harsh, Douglas, Pete Harsh uh, and Mike Hansen. Uh, there's a couple local guys around here. Al Stanley, um, Stephen Peach was was a big one left behind uh, on a more local level around here. You know, he was pretty well known across the board. And this is all within the last couple of years. And, you know, just says, hey, we're all not getting any younger, but don't take today and tomorrow for granted you know you gotta live it love it and enjoy what you got words to live by by the kinger right there well i want hey i want to thank you for giving us your time here it's been a while and even though uh we just had a 73 we're gonna have to make an effort to (laughs) to do that a little more uh, frequently because ever since uh the tournament organizations and things went one way and busy lives go another and jobs and stuff it's uh like you said, you just don't see some of the guys you you've used to do a lot more with and traveling around with and all that good stuff. So, well, now that I know you're living right there, it helps. I got you know I got a dealer right there you, too. So, are you are you are you retarded? Are you? I mean, I, I'm <laughs> lay it on me. Go ahead. I didn't know you lived there. He said. I, on that note, I want to still thank you for joining us on the Big Water Podcast. You were over by Toledo before. Well, I still, I mean, I still am. I, I'm a transient. I'm a transient. <laughs> okay. But, uh, well, I could call you something else, but it's not politically correct for the show. So I'll leave it alone. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks again, Brett, the Kinger. You are, you are the man. We appreciate your time. Thanks for tuning in to the Big Water Podcast. I am Ross Robertson. Make sure you check us out at bigwaterfishing.com on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, and producer dude, can you help me out? Because I always forget these. We're on Amazon now. We're we on are on Amazon. Yes, now Amazon Podcasts, Stitcher, Stitcher, Google. Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Podbean. Oh. I think. If you want to see our podcast for track. free, you just have to click on the digital platform. We are there. Big Water Fishing. Big Water One Word. Or just check us out. We got all the links at BigWaterFishing.com, and you can watch. King, even though he's not very beautiful because he doesn't sell cosmetics, you can check him out on YouTube at the Big Water Fishing page because we will have this beautiful video of him up there in his nice smooth moves hoodie. Yep. Thanks for having me. How's that for a backhanded compliment? (laughs) It's great to see you, Brad. We appreciate your time. And um, other than that, we are out.